Hi, you are listening to Legacy of Leadership, a podcast celebrating 70 years of the UAB School of Nursing. My name is Erica Teco, and I'm a marketing specialist at the School of Nursing. And I am Rita Jablonski. I am a professor in the School of Nursing. I'm also a nurse practitioner, and I work in the Memory Disorders Clinic at the Kirkland Clinic. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, To get started, I would love to hear about your journey into nursing. My entry was a little strange. Not one of those people who always wanted to be a nurse. Quite the opposite. I wanted to do anything but nursing. I had no role models. Everyone in my family was either a stay-at-home mom or perhaps a teacher. So as for female role models, I really had no role model that had gone to college. So I had decided somewhere in adolescence that I was going to go to college because to me, education seemed the way to get out of my neighborhood. I was convinced I was going to apply to a local college and study music. I was the oldest of five children. My mom, being the pragmatist, said to me, Rita, you really don't need to go into music. And I said to her, well, I'll just practice really hard and and try to get a position in one of the orchestras or you know, some type of, of musically based career. And my mom laughed and she said, you have some talent, but you're not that great, which is to an outsider would sound really harsh, but my mom was always very loving and very honest. And I went back and forth and looked at different career paths. And my mom kept saying, go into nursing. It is such a wonderful profession and again, being the sole breadwinner for five children, my mom repeatedly said to me, and you will always have a job. So coming from this group of optimists, I applied to Holy Family College in Philadelphia for nursing. I had no nursing role models. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. So I get accepted into the nursing program at a four-year college. Yay! And my mother then sat me down and said, I really think you need to get a job in the hospital or in the nursing home. Why? Well, these four-year colleges, you don't get a whole lot of clinical time. Now, to put this in perspective, it was 1982 in Pennsylvania. Diploma schools were still extremely popular. And diploma schools came out of the apprentice model of nursing education in which applicants signed up for a school that was housed in the hospital. And these nursing schools essentially provided free staff for the hospital under the guise of providing an education. I said to my mother, well, all right, I I see where you're coming from. So I'll apply to all the different hospitals. I applied as a nursing assistant. None of the hospitals were hiring at that time. But the nursing homes were. I interviewed. I graduated uh, Father's Day weekend, I think it was. It was was uh, somewhere in mid-June. And that Monday, I was at the nursing home learning how to be a nursing assistant. The joke was kind of on me because I was so resistant 
to taking a job in a nursing home. I kept, I was moody. I was unhappy. I thought this is going to stink. I soon realized that I loved what I did in the nursing home. I started at St. Joseph's Manor outside of Philadelphia. And that nursing home was way ahead of the curve. We were doing person-centered care before that was even in the literature. And one of my earliest lessons working with people with dementia was I was told people with dementia will ask the same question a hundred times. And I am telling you, you will answer that question as if you heard it for the first time. And I learned a lot about dignity in dementia. I learned how to provide care when people were resistant, although I didn't know that's what it was. I just said they were being difficult. And ironically, when I became a nurse practitioner and started building my program of research, many of the experiences I had as a nursing assistant have stayed with me and have influenced my philosophy of care and my work with people living with dementia and their family caregivers and nursing home staff. Yeah, and that touches on another question, another thing I would love to talk about with you, which is your program of research. You know, it's internationally recognized for how it centers on the lives of older adults, including those with dementia. Why, in your opinion, is it so important to have this focus of research? And also, how have you seen the field of dementia research and dementia care change and develop throughout your career? Great questions. I'd like to take the second one first. When I started out as a nursing assistant, our understanding of dementia had a more cardiovascular component. People had heart disease, they had hardening of the arteries, and that caused parts of the brain to, to, to I would say, go offline or to wither away because those parts of the brain weren't fed oxygen from the blood vessels. Research at that time was based on, hey, let's reorient the person with dementia. Let's bring them back into our world. If we give these individuals enough verbal and visual cues, we can make them okay. You would go into patients' rooms and there'd be literal notes taped all over the room. This is you and your husband. These are the five grandkids. Now, to be fair, in earlier stages of mild dementia, depending on the type, those types of cues are okay. But in the nursing home environment where our people, our residents were more moderately impaired, telling people over and over again, today is August 5th and you are at St. Joseph's Manor. That, that doesn't work. So I recall vividly, so it was two o'clock in the morning, I was working 11 to seven, and I had a resident who kept yelling out and climbing out of her bed because she had to go to work. She had to go to work, she had to catch the train. And I stood there parroting what I was taught. Yes, Mrs. Smith, it is two o'clock in the morning. You are at St. Joseph's Manor. Well, the more I was reorienting the woman, I was really arguing with her. It wasn't making sense, and I was escalating the behavior. I must have been creating a racket because the nursing assistant who was working with me 
comes flying into the room, literally pushes me out of the way, holds the lady's hands gently and says, it's okay, Beth. I know you have to get to work. I'll wake you up in time to catch the train. The resident, Miss Beth, she smiled, went right back to sleep and slept through the night. So that seared my memory. And that's when I first realized, hmm, the so-called research and the knowledge I'm getting from school doesn't fit my clinical reality. There is a disconnect. And that, I think, sparked the flame that turned into me evolving into a researcher. Because as a researcher, I use research to solve problems that I encounter as a nurse clinician. So fast forward, I had obtained a master's degree and then I obtained a post-master's as a a nurse practitioner. And I was hired as a full-time clinical faculty member. So I was predominantly teaching. But our faculty was so small that I interacted with our researchers every day. Dr. Cindy Monroe and Dr. Mary Jo Grapp were two researchers that I co-taught with and I was in the same department. So I was watching what they were doing and listening to their discussions about putting in grants and designing studies. So I decided to obtain my PhD. I wanted that PhD because I wanted the skill set to answer my clinical problem. And because I was also practicing, I was encountering problems in my clinical practice in a nursing home. For example, I noticed that I had a subset of nursing home residents who I could never get their blood sugar under control. I also had a subset of nursing home residents that seemed to habitually cycle through nursing home acquired pneumonia. And at that time, I was also sitting at lunch listening to Cindy and Mary Jo talk about their research, which involved mouth care in intensive care units. And they were the ones who, whose research changed our understanding of the relationship between mouth care and ventilator-associated pneumonia. So as I was listening to them talk about their study, I asked the question that wound up changing my career tra- trajectory completely. I asked, is it possible that inadequate mouth care in the nursing home is responsible for the nursing home acquired pneumonia that I'm seeing over and over again. And both of them looked up for their lunch and said, oh yes. Well, next thing I know, I haven't even defended my dissertation, which by the way had nothing to do with mouth care. I was doing nursing home to ER transitions. They said to me, oh, you need to start working with us on our projects and start writing some grants and we can help you get funding because we think you can go back to the nursing home and you can do better mouth care and see if that reduces nursing home acquired pneumonia. Well, I've never looked back since. I think your experience shows that you draw on your experience in the field and having that toolbox and that memory bank of what has worked is really important, especially for this sort of research. Um, Is that something that you think is 
unique to, or something that makes nursing research unique? I really think that because nursing is a practice discipline, for me, it works being in the clinic and having a faculty practice, even though it's a struggle to maintain a faculty practice and be a, a faculty member and a researcher. Nobody ever said it was going to be easy, but I am so blessed because all three areas of my life are in dementia land. So everything feeds, one aspect feeds the other two. But I think it's something in nursing that we're going to continue to struggle with because when I was on my journey, and I'm still on my journey, I was told by various deans early on, I had to make a choice. I had to either be a clinician or I had to be a researcher. But there are a lot of super bright, excellent researchers that are finishing their nursing program and going right into their PhD studies. And I think that's a valid way to go, just like my way made sense for me. So in situations where I may have a nurse researcher who may not have as much depth of clinical experience, it's good to partner with expert clinicians. So that's where I see teams that would be well served by having a clinician, an expert clinician, someone with a doctorate in nursing practice on the team as a co-investigator with a nurse researcher who may have opted to abbreviate their clinical experience in order to pursue their higher education. So both ways are, are good. I think that if the researcher does not have a strong, active foundation and expertise in the clinical area related to their research, like I am fortunate to have, then it's incumbent upon that researcher to partner with a clinician so that the interventions are clinically and ecologically valid. And so now I'd like to transition over to your journey to the UAB School of Nursing. Um, what initially brought you here and what has your experience been like since joining? So what initially brought me to UAB was a desire to embed my research into an academic medical center. So it just so happened that one of my friends I had worked with at Virginia Commonwealth was now at UAB and we had kept in touch. So we were talking informally and I, I, I said, look, um, I think my days at Penn State are numbered because I feel like my research is really hitting a glass ceiling with the resources that I need. And my friend said, you know, you really need to come to UAB. And I said, Birmingham, Alabama, are you kidding me? And she laughed and said, everybody says that. So she connected me with Dr. Doreen Harper, the dean at the School of Nursing. And Dr. Harper and I had a, an informal conversation. And I had, I was more interested in perhaps 
having a relationship with UAB, perhaps as a visiting faculty member or some type of dual situation where I could stay at Penn State. I didn't really want to leave. I was just trying to find places where I could get into that academic medical center some way and a school of dentistry. And so I was trying to balance out options. And for every reason I had to not come to Birmingham, Dr. Harper had five reasons why I should. So I said, okay, because it, Dr. Harper is a really hard person to say no to. Um, I agreed to informally come to UAB. And as I toured the facilities, spoke to the faculty, looked at their opportunities online, I realized, ooh, this could really be a great place for my research and my own, for my research to grow and for me to grow as a faculty member, as a leader in academic administration at some point. The opportunities were boundless. And so I would love to hear your perspective on what do you see as the future of nursing? And are there any things that you see um, changing or developing in the field moving forward? Yes. Right now, a group of my colleagues and I are making history because we are developing a post-master's certificate in we're calling it neurology nursing, but our focus is on cognitive and movement disorders, memory and movement disorders. And the reason for that is our nurse practitioner curriculum, or rather curricula, are so, so, so packed. There's so much that our, our nurse practitioner, adult Gero students, need to have that knowledge about the different types of dementias, how to support family caregivers, appropriate and inappropriate pharmacotherapy, that is not really addressed in our curriculum, nor is it really well addressed in many programs. So we are putting together a 15 credit post-master's program that students who are currently in the adult GERA will be able to cherry pick which classes they wanted to have. Students in the PhD program who want more in-depth knowledge about neuroanatomy and physiology or diagnostics or even management of behaviors, both uh, from a drug and undrug perspective, they can take these courses. We're also designing them to be interprofessional so that our colleagues outside of nursing can send students, graduate students, into these classes. Because here's the thing. Right now, in Alabama, there are 96,000 people with a dementia diagnosis. So as a result, the Memory Disorders Clinic is, we literally have a year wait list. And waiting a year is really not a fun option. And there's not enough neurologists, period, or enough neurologists who specialize in memory disorders to address this need. So nurse practitioners are in a 
awesome position to obtain this extra focused education and training in order to be deployed in primary care settings where they can assist with the diagnostic workup and even the management, reserving unusual or very complicated cases for Memories Disorders Clinic, which is the new model going forward. That is why at UAB, we're getting ahead of the curve with the development and rollout of this educational program. We also need to get more of it into the undergraduate curriculum because when I have uh, honor students who work with my research team, I allow them to shadow me at the Kirkland Clinic and they are blown away by what we do and how I handle behaviors and help family caregivers. Part of UAB School of Nursing's leadership is to address the care needs of people living with dementia, family carers, and also to ultimately develop dementia-friendly practices as part of one's nursing practice. We all need to be ready. Yeah, those are such great points. And it is exciting to hear about the ways that the School of Nursing is working to lead the way in developing these programs and preparing our nurses. Um, well, those are all of the questions that I had for you today. Um, but I just wanted to thank you again for joining me on the podcast and for sharing a little bit about your experience and research with us. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Legacy of Leadership, a podcast celebrating 70 years of the UAB School of Nursing. Want more from the UAB School of Nursing? Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at UABSON or on Facebook at UAB School of Nursing. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.